But we're going to continue in our series through the book of Colossians, and we have a treat of listening a treat. to Michael Hansen hey. today. So let's give it up for Michael. Hey. Thank you so much. Hey, how many of you are, uh, <clears throat> I was thinking this morning with the bit of the frost on the ground, how many of you are like fall people? This time of year, you just get fired up. Hey, hey, my people. I, man, I, as I was driving in, you know, I had the window down and the AC on. I was driving in, you know, but I, I just thought, I, this weather just, in, just fires me up. I don't know. I, I woke up and it's like, yeah, finally, no more humidity. It's like, oh, that's for them. So uh, that's not what I'm going to talk about this morning. Uh, but like Danny was saying, we've been in this uh, Colossians series. And last weekend, if you weren't here last weekend, Heather Kamira spoke. She did an excellent job, and uh, you can hear it online or on the, on the uh, info counter as you leave. There's a free CD that you can grab. But last weekend, uh, Heather was looking at the tail end of chapter one and the beginning of chapter two. <clears throat> and one of the things that stood out to me as I listened to her talk was how in this letter that Paul wrote, he was using, uh, he was using military language. If you remember, she pulled out some of the Greek words and they had this like a, a military meaning and I was thinking, okay, Paul, why? Like, why would you write, uh, you know, write a letter to this young new church and why would you write to them as if they're in a battle? And it's like, well, because they were in a battle. They lived in a city, here's this, you know, this new church and they're, they're living in a city that is full of all kinds of crazy different religions with idolatry and all these twisted things going on. If you remember, there are these, these false teachers, the, uh, the Judaizers and the Gnostics, that were literally infiltrating this, this new church. And, and they weren't telling, these false teachers, they weren't coming in saying, you guys, you need to forget about Jesus. You, know, you need to push him off to the side. What they were saying was actually worse. They were saying to this, to this young church, they're saying, you need, to, you need to add our teaching to what you've been taught about Jesus. And that's called like syncretism. It's like this, like a, like a hybrid faith. And, and what they were saying is that, you know, Jesus is cool, but Jesus isn't enough. Your gospel is, it's too simple. It's got, it's got holes in it. And we're here, we're here to fill it out for you. Well, you know, as they're doing that in Colossae, here's Paul, he's miles away in Rome. And he's writing this letter and he knows what's going on and he's, you know, he's getting pretty worked up because his young church is being, it's under attack. These people are trying to, you know, mislead these, these young Christians. And, and, you know, the picture I have is that Paul is writing this letter, the letter to the uh, Colossians. He's writing it like a mama bear protecting her cubs. And what comes to my mind, and I don't know, uh, uh, is the movie, have you ever seen the movie Taken? I don't recommend it. Sort of that pastoral thing you have to say. But, <clears throat> but remember in the movie, I think it's such a, it sort of sets the tone. Remember where Liam Neeson, his daughter, she flies, I think it was to Paris or something, and her and a friend, and this slimy guy befriends them at the airport and totally mis, you know, misleads them, and she ends up being taken. That's the name. I finally figured that out. But so she gets kidnapped, and she was on the phone with her dad just before she was taken, and she drops the phone or whoever, and she's dragged away. And suddenly you have this really intense moment in the, in the movie where the kidnapper picks up the phone and Liam Neeson goes, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. 
But what I do have is a very particular set of skills, right? I know, I don't know about you, but when I'm watching that, my heart's just pounding. I'm like, yeah, he's going to rip their heads off. You know, it's like, well, I think that's the intensity that Paul is writing with. Like, he is really fired up. Listen to what he wrote to another church that was going through this. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And Paul is, he's fired up. He's going, you guys, Jesus has set you free from all that. Don't, you know, don't be enslaved again by any teaching that depends on anything but Jesus. Right? He is fired up. And, and you know, in this story, in this letter to, to this church, that's, like, that was the battle line. Is Jesus enough? Right? That's the battle. And I, and I, I think that is a, a battle line for us very often. Whereas you're going through the struggles of life, you know, curveballs coming your way, challenges, that, that it causes us to say, and we probably wouldn't say it this way because we're good Christians, you know, we listen to the river, but we probably wouldn't say it this way, but what we're, what, what our, where our thoughts are going is, is he enough? Are there, are there missing things in this that I have to fill in? Does that make sense? Right? Is there something more I need to do? To, you know, is, like, can I really trust him for today? Is he enough to cover me for today, for tomorrow, for forever, for eternity? See, there's a, one of the Psalms that David wrote, Psalm 51, there's this great verse where he says to God, <clears throat> he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. See, and I believe one of the things that gives us joy in this life, like a deep joy, you know, a deep, deep joy is knowing that he is enough. It's knowing that he does have it all covered, right? And I think one of the reasons we lose joy, I think one of the reasons that we just get weighed down in life is that we forget all that Jesus has accomplished for us. And what we're going to see in this story is that as we look at what Paul wrote to this, you know, this, this church that's under attack, Uh, What we're going to see is that Jesus, he isn't just like the title of my message. He isn't just enough. Jesus is more than enough to care for us this side of heaven and and forever. So let's pray and then we'll uh, we'll jump into Colossians 2. So Lord, thanks for uh, this morning. Lord, it's just so good to see everybody and just to be together. And like Pam was saying, I thank you so much for your presence. that, That makes all the difference in the world. If we were just some group, you know, that uh, uh, just got together to sort of remember the good old days, Lord, that would just get old. It would lose. It just would be lifeless. But God, you're with us. You're here. You're alive. You're active. As we've been singing these songs, you've been moving around the room. You've been speaking to people. You've been nudging people and putting your arms around people. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just continue what you're doing, Lord. Just have your way today, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Bible's at the front, Bible's at the back. You can turn to Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at uh, 6 through 23, and uh, we're actually going to start in verse 8, though. We'll come back to verse 6, so we'll start there. Colossians 2 verse 8 says this, here's Paul. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. So we'll stop there. 
So again, here's that military language where Paul's like, hey, church in Colossae, hey, church in Sunbury, you got to pay attention. This is really serious. Someone is trying to take you captive. And it's like, well, well how, Paul, how are they trying to take these people captive? And he says through, uh, through hollow uh, what is it? Hollow and deceptive philosophy. And again, that's our battle line. It's number one in your notes is this question of, is Jesus enough? And it's, you know, it's like the Judaizers, they're, the, the Gnostics, are sort of, it's like they're coming into this young church. And the picture I get is it's like they're going, really, you guys? Really, all you need to be made right with God, all you need to receive his forgiveness is just hear the story of Jesus and believe it? Like, come on. That's it? Like, come on, who are we kidding? That's way too simple. That's way too easy. We're gonna, you know, again, we're here to fill this out for you. Actually, you know, you've got a part to play in this. If you really wanna be one of God's people, and especially for the Judaizers, where their minds were going when they said one of God's people is, if you really wanna be a Jew, well, well, then you need to start living like, or like a Jew. You need to obey the laws that they obey. You need to, you know, uh, uh, participate in all the customs that, that the Jewish people would follow. And, but notice Paul called their teaching, he called it hollow and deceptive philosophy. And it's like, well, well, why is it hollow and deceptive? Well, verse 8 says this. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow uh, and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. And you know, the words that jumped out at me in that, in that verse is depends on. Because those two little words, they're like pivotal words. Because whatever, whatever something depends on, well, then that thing is the deciding factor. Right? That, that's what determines whether we go this way or that way. It depends on that. And Paul is saying, he's warning them not to depend on human tr- tradition and you know, the basic principles of this world. And wouldn't you say that, that in our culture and in our time in history... Uh, one of the basic principles of our culture is if you are or to get something, you need to earn it. Wouldn't you agree? Right? If, you, if you're going to get something, well then, buddy, you need, to, uh, uh, I was gonna, you need to pull up your socks. I was going to say pull up your pants. It didn't sound right. But you need to pull up your socks. You need to roll up your sleeves. And you need to go after it. You need to earn it if you're going to get something. Well, that is not the gospel. That is not the story of Jesus. You can't, you know, you can't earn what Jesus offers to us. Forgiveness, relationship with him, all these things. It's a gift. And you don't earn a gift. I mean, it's like, if, can you imagine going, oh man, my birthday's coming up. I better get to work. I gotta impress my wife, my kids. I gotta, oh, I gotta do something for my friends so that they'll, maybe they'll give me something. I mean, that, that just sounds so silly. But you can't, I mean, a gift... What do you do with a gift? A gift is just something to be received. Oh, thank you. A gift is something, it's something to be, uh, to be enjoyed. Right? But here's the false teachers. They're coming in and they're, and they're, again, they're throwing out this question. Is Jesus enough? And, they're, and so now Paul, as we continue in the, in the text, Paul now continues. He's like, okay, let me tell you, church and Colossae, let me tell you why Jesus is enough. Verse 9 says this. <clears throat> For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. 
He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So, One of the things the false teachers were going after, and, and really, two, week, uh, two weeks ago, Penny hit on this, an excellent message. He, one of the things they were attacking about Jesus is, that, again, he's a good guy, but there's nothing special about him. He's not unique. He's just one of many people, in their, you know, uh, in their opinion, who have received some special revelation from God. So they're calling into question, you know, the... The, 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 uh, the leader, or if you will, the, you know, the savior that they're depending on, they're going, well, you know, he's nothing special. And so Paul, like what Penny did two weeks ago, right away just says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's establish, in verse 9 and 10, let's establish that there's never, there never has been, there never will be anyone like Jesus. Because he was fully a man, he was, but he was also fully God. He wasn't just some guy walking around who had a, you know, just had a bionic arm. He just had a, you know, a God arm. He was God in the flesh among us. So let me tell you why he's enough. And he, he goes on now to talk about three things that Jesus has accomplished for us. I'm going to go through these three. It's uh, true circumcision, if you're taking notes, total forgiveness, and total victory. True circumcision, total forgiveness, total victory. So the first one, true circumcision. The Judaizers were saying, you know what? Okay, you guys, here's what we're going to add to your gospel. If you really want to be made right with God, if you really uh, uh, you know, want to identify yourself as one of his, well, then you need to be circumcised, right? And, and they saw circumcision, it was, like, it was like a badge in the flesh. Why don't we look at the picture here? No, I'm joking. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to see if I get a response. I'm trying to see if anyone's frowning. Anyone upset? Anyone leaving? <laughs> Wouldn't that just be... We're, in, we're the edgy church. Let's take a look here. Oh, okay, but there... <laughs> okay, okay, back to the notes. But there... So they're saying if you really... You know, you need to get this... You need to be circumcised. But circumcision done by, by human hands was not enough to make us right with God. Because the problem wasn't a little piece of skin that needed to be cut away. The problem went way deeper than that, didn't it? Doesn't it? The problem and what needed to be cut away was our flesh, was our sinful nature. And true circumcision is a circumcision of the heart. And only God can get at our heart. Only God can dig to that, you know, deep inside us and cut away that part of us that just naturally says no. And rebels against God. Only God can do that. So Paul's, you know, he's, he knows that the, these Judaizers are saying, you need to be circumcised. And he's thinking, how can I explain to them, you know, uh, 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 what true circumcision is? And he goes, okay, you guys, remember when you first said yes to Jesus, when you got baptized. Okay, baptism is a picture of true circumcision. Remember when, <clears throat> when you were, you know, we're out in the river or whatever, and when we dunked you under the water, as soon as that water passed over your head and you're totally submerged that's a picture of you just died 
And, but, but we don't end there, thankfully. We do. We bring, you know, and then we take you out of the water, and that's a picture of you've now been born again into a new life. That dead part, the flesh, that's dead and gone forever. That's been cut away forever. That's true circumcision. It's a circumcision of the heart, and human hands cannot accomplish that. Only Jesus can accomplish that. So it's number one, true forgiveness. Number two, total, or sorry, true circumcision. And now total forgiveness. Verse 13 says this. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And so basically he's saying, you know, uh, uh, apart from Jesus, we have a sin debt. We've accrued debt. And it would be like, you know, you know how if you know you <coughs> excuse me, you get your visa bill in the mail, and if you've got a if you have an outstanding balance on your bill, uh, I've noticed it'll say in the corner, if if you pay uh, the minimum payment, right, you'll be paid off in you know the year the year 2047, right? And but imagine our sin debt, we've had accrued such debt. That our bill, if we got a sin bill or a, you know, a visa bill in the mail, it would just say, don't bother. It's impossible. You will never pay this debt off. But what I love, just the way Paul writes this, he goes, but Jesus has canceled our debt. And what I think this is so cool, the word canceled, the Greek word that Paul was using is a word, you can see it on the screens here, it's exalifo. And look what it means, to wipe out, to erase to obliterate, that's a great word, right? And Paul, in using this word exalifo, he was referring to something that the people in his day would have really understood. There were scribes, you know, people that would write down, you know, historical events or menus. For, no, but they would write down historical events and they, they didn't, obviously they didn't have like paper like we have nowadays, of course. And so they would use different materials. They would use something called papyrus, which was made of like bulrushes, they would uh, use something called, uh, what is it called, vellum. And vellum was made of animal skins, I think like cats. And, uh, okay, I'll get some email on that one. But, then, but the thing was, in their day, the, the ink that they used was such that their ink wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't absorb into the material. It would dry on the, on the surface. So again, Paul's using this. Uh, this word exalifo. So, so for the scribes, I mean, all this, these, these papers, they were, they were expensive. So what they would do is they would reuse the pieces of paper, you know, the papyrus, the, 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 the vellum. And so what they would do is they would, they would wipe away, they would exalifo away what was written on it. And now when you look at this piece of paper, it's as if nothing was ever written on it. Now let that sink in. Paul's going, you want to you know, understand forgiveness? That's the kind of forgiveness we have in Jesus. That, you know, when he, when he was hanging on the cross, he didn't say, uh, it is almost finished. You have partial forgiveness, right? You get three gigabytes of forgiveness each month, but you go over that and it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. He didn't say that. See, because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, it means that we have complete forgiveness. I mean, think about this. It's as if we've never sinned. 
That's awesome. Now, many times there still be consequences to our sin. You may have a strained relationship. You may have a broken relationship. You may go to jail. But before God, you stand clean, washed clean, as if, as if you have never sinned. Talk about the joy of our salvation. I mean, are you sitting here this morning and you feel dirty? Do you feel shame? Do you feel guilty? Is there something you've been carrying around for years? Well, you don't have to. You don't have to. Now, you may have to do something to reconcile, but you don't have to carry the guilt and the shame because Jesus is more than enough, and you can be ex You can be washed clean as if you'd never done that, whatever's weighing you down. So true circumcision, total forgiveness, and the final one is total victory. Verse 15 says this, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus triumphed over his enemies on the cross. And again, we've got this military language where, you know, this picture of disarming the powers and authorities. And basically, it's like, you know, picture a soldier where you're, you're disarming, you're stripping away, you're taking away his weapons, you're taking away his armor. And, you know, now when you look at your enemy, it's like, oh, you're not really much of a threat anymore because your weapons are gone. And, you know, you, I mean, you just don't, you don't have, you, uh, uh, you've been, all your authority, your power has been taken away from you. Then he goes on to say, you know, Jesus, he made a public spectacle of them. And again, it's military language. He's referring to a, a, a Roman a tradition, a general, you know, a Roman general would go into a city or whatever and he'd whoop on, on their army. And what he'd do to celebrate his victory is he would parade that king and his subjects, uh, the defeated, humiliated king, he'd parade them through the streets. It's just this, you know, he would make a public spectacle of them. And you know what jumps out at me as I read verse 15 is that like there's an irony in this that Jesus, you know, disarmed, he made a public spectacle of his enemies and he, that he triumphed at the cross. Because you know what, and maybe I've got a pretty active imagination, but, but to me what, what came to my mind when I read this verse was it's like I could see the devil on the day that Jesus was crucified thinking he'd accomplished exactly the same thing. Right? He's standing there and he's looking at Jesus and he's sneering and he's going, ha! Look at him, savior of the world, my foot, sorry, my foot, I said foot. I've disarmed him, he's powerless, I've stripped him naked, he's beaten, he's dying, I've made a public spectacle of him, he was, you know, Jesus was crucified outside of Jerusalem at a place, it was like a, a you know, it would have a place where a lot of people would have passed by and everyone's walking by and looking at this fool that I've killed. And I just think, like, isn't there irony in that? But that Jesus, that Jesus, he won the battle by, from our perspective, by losing, by dying. Through what, what again, as a human being, look at it, it's like Jesus, he won through weakness. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God, for it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. 
I love this verse. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You know, seeing Jesus, you know, accomplishing total victory. I don't know about you, but I go, you know what, Jesus? It's hard for me to get my head around that victory. And what I mean is, if it would have been, I could, I could get my hands around it way easier, my head around it, if, if you were a bit more Schwarzenegger. Right? If you were a bit more, if it's said in the Bible, and Jesus jumped down off the cross and and just started mowing people down right and left, I'd go, okay, now I see it. That's a victory. That makes sense to me. Because isn't this, isn't, like, aren't the ways of God something that causes us to question whether he's enough? Like you say you're the supreme being over all things, and you know, but you don't seem very supreme. You don't seem all powerful. I don't know about you, but I've so many experiences in life when I've called out to him and trusted in him, it's like, I just don't see you flexing your muscle in any way here. Like, isn't that one of the tensions that I think makes following Jesus really, uh, uh, really hard? It's like, you know, you say you've accomplished this, but, but I experienced that. You know, and it's sort of like this, the tension I see is, and, and we've seen this in, in this series on, on Colossians, that on one side uh, is, is positionally, like right now, based you know, on what the Bible says, based on what Jesus has accomplished, that it says that we are seated with him in heavenly places. That right now I'm in a room filled with royalty, brothers and sisters of Jesus, sons and daughters of the King totally clean and blameless before God. That's the truth. That's positionally. But then on this side, you've got experientially. Or I don't know about you, but I, every day I struggle with sin. Every day I struggle with just bad attitudes. And there's many days where I don't feel victorious at all. I feel like I'm getting whooped on. And it's like we have this tension where, where you know, you're being pulled in different directions. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think in following Jesus, to be honest... And to be healthy as a Christian, you need to hold on to both of those. You need to live in that tension. Because, you know, if you just hold on to one of them, what happens? It's like, it's like two reins on a horse. If you just pull one rein, what's going to happen? You're just going to go in circles, right? And there's something about this tension that we live in where the, the struggle, what does the struggle do? Or what, I think, one of the, one of the reasons we have struggle, what, the purpose of it is to drive us this way. It's in the struggle where we, it, it drives us to God, that we run to God, that we fall on him and say, no, you've got to show me again. You've got to show me that you've forgiven me for that. When you wake up at three in the morning just racked with guilt, like, oh, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? It's like you've got you to gotta lean in this way and say, show me again. Tell me again. Remind me. Holy Spirit, remind me again that I've been forgiven. See, you know, the, the, the false teachers, I think the tension is something that they were, were, were attacking. Like they're saying, hey, if the gospel is enough, then, then, then there shouldn't be a tension. Like logically, there shouldn't be a tension. If it's, if, it's, if it's the answer, well, it should answer the question. There shouldn't be a tension. And I think, and so they, and, and Paul, as we read on now, Paul's gonna go after some of the specific things that they were telling these people to do. This is uh, verse 16, and it's number three in your notes, because he's enough. So therefore, because he's enough, Paul says, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. It's the Judaizers. 
These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. That's Gnostics. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use are based on, depend on, merely human commands and teachings, hollow and deceptive. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And so Paul's saying, okay, because, of, because Jesus is enough, because he's accomplished all these things for us, <coughs> because of that, now we get to live our lives from a, from a place of freedom rather than a place of fear and anxiety. Because what these, what these false teachers were saying there, you know, in, in this, what we just read there, they're, you know, they're, they're sort of telling the people, like, they're, 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 they're introducing, like, legalism. Okay, you can eat that, but oh, don't you eat that, and don't forget about this day. You better make, you know, this celebration and that celebration. You better be there. And, and, and then you've got the mystics who are saying, hey, hey, you guys, if you really want to go deep, you need to learn to commune with angels and right, you know, get this the secret wisdom that only a chosen few will find. And, and then you've got asceticism, which basically it's like you gotta beat yourself into submission. You know, you need to change you. You need to fix you. And Paul is like, you guys, that's hopeless. All of that stuff is hopeless. And why is it hopeless? Because it all depends on you, on us getting it right. It all depends on us going, oh yeah, oh yeah, don't forget, I need to do this at this time, and I need to do that, no, don't do that. I mean, that's impossible for us to follow all that. And Paul is saying, because of Jesus, we no longer need to live in fear or anxiety that we aren't doing enough because Jesus did enough. He's, it's his accomplishment we, that we reap the benefits of. And, and so does that mean then that, <clears throat> you know, uh, that now we can just do whatever we want? It's like, so now all the guardrails are removed, and after church day, we're all going to go squealing out of the parking lot. You know, it's like, we're all going to go, you know. Is that what that means? Well, no, that's not what it means. But now, now what it does mean is that it's no longer a question of clean or unclean. It's a question of healthy or unhealthy. Like, should we be careful what we eat? Yes, we should. Yes, we should. We need to look after our bodies. We're a very unhealthy culture. We should pay attention to what we eat. Should we, you know, I think of what, what the mystics were saying. I mean, but should we, should we nurture a relationship with the Holy Spirit with this, you know, in the spirit realm and the stuff that I don't know about you, but sometimes I just don't understand it and my Western worldview, you know, if I can't explain it, well, then I don't believe it. Like, should we press through that and nurture a relationship with the Spirit of God whose ways we don't really understand most of the time? Well, yes. Yes, we should. Should we, uh, would it be good for us to sometimes deny ourselves of all the stuff we want? Oh, yes. Yes, that would be really good. That would be really healthy. See, discipline, discipline's a really good thing. Saying no 
sometimes, lots of times, that's a good thing. But we don't do those things to earn our position. We don't do them to earn forgiveness or our freedom. It's all Jesus. It's all his his accomplishment. So let me end off with this. Number four in your notes is living like he's enough. Let's go back to verse six, Colossians two. So then... Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. You know, when I read verse 6, the phrase that goes through my mind is, what got you in keeps you in. Right? It's not like Jesus, uh, what's coming up now in a bit, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Black Friday, right? Right, the big shopping day? It's not like Jesus has sort of presented the gospel as a free gift like it's a door crasher. Hey, we're gonna get them in, right? We'll get them in through the door with this free gift, but as soon as they get in and they sign them up, you know, we get them signed up, well, then we're gonna, you know, we're gonna hit them with the, you know, with the, uh, with the fine print. Well, that's not how it is at all. Your forgiveness, you know, what, all that what you, uh, you received when you first said yes to Jesus, forgiveness, your new life, this position we have in him, your relationship with him, it was free then and it's free now. The rules, the rules haven't changed. You know, I think sometimes uh, when you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, I think, well, I don't think, I know, we forget that. Right? We forget that it's still free. Like the other day, I called my cable company, and they said, and they had this new offer that they're making, new, this new deal. And I said, well, hey, I'd like to get in on that. Oh, that's only for new customers. Well, I've been with you for like 10 years. Yeah, yeah, well, hey, you know, you're going to still pay full price. How do you think we pay for those new customers? But see, I think sometimes we think that's only for, for the new customers. But it's, it's what was free then is free now. See, then it goes on to say, so how do we, you know, how do we nurture that? How do we nurture, uh, you know, just that truth? It's, it's in verse three, or verse seven says three things, rooted in him, built up in him, overflowing with thankfulness. And you know, I, I really believe that if, if we set out each day to make Jesus our everything and just try to look for him and think about him and, and you know, in everything we do in life, then over time increasingly, he will become our everything. Like to be rooted in him, just imagine a tree, its roots going down into the ground. Jesus is the source. He's the soil that we grow in. And if you're constantly, you know, I'm not a, what is it? I'm not a green thumb at all. I, I kill plants. But, but I just know if you're constantly, you know what I mean, constantly pulled out of the roots, that, that plant's not going to grow. It's going to be unhealthy. But to be driving our roots down to him, to be spending time with him, to be thinking about him, to be reading our Bibles, his book, to learn about him, to you know, have his thoughts, fill our thoughts, to be, to be built up in him, that he would be the foundation of our lives. Meaning, whatever happens, that we would run to him. Like prayer, I see prayer as running to him. Oh, Lord. Uh-oh right? That's, that's running to him. And I think when we gather together, one of the reasons we gather together is to be reminded of our foundation in Jesus, is to be reminded of the truth. It's so important to be gathering together. Um, and then it says, it says to be overflowing with thankfulness. And I'm like, thankfulness? What, you know, what is that going to do for us? And, you know, when I look at thankfulness and I look at being a thankful person, to me, thankfulness declares 
that it's a gift. When you say thank you, what are you saying? You're saying, you know, I didn't deserve that. I didn't earn that, right? Thankfulness declares uh, that it's a gift that we've received. We, haven't, we didn't have to do anything to get it. Thankfulness recognizes the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the generosity of God. To be a thankful person keeps our, our flesh at bay, the greed in our hearts, the jealousy, the, the, that sense of entitlement, right? Being thankful for what you have keeps that dog sort of, you know, tied down. Thankfulness uh, is a constant reminder of who our trust is in. You sit down to eat, thanks God for providing. Thank you that we have food, that we have a house, that we have a fridge that works, that we have electricity. I mean, thankfulness reminds us of, of, of who our hope is in. Thankfulness reminds us that he is, he is more than enough. Why don't we, why don't we stand up? Uh, I want to end my talk off with, we're going to sing a song together. And uh, I guess I should turn this off. I just want to encourage you. This is uh, the song in Christ Alone. Basically, we could have skipped my message and just sang this song. I tell you that at the end. But I just want to encourage you as we sing this to just let the truth of this, you know, just wash over you and encourage you. And after we sing the song, we'll, we'll just have some time to pray with one another. But, but uh, you can go ahead, Doug, put those, put those lyrics up. It's a. I used to work with a sound guy who had a T-shirt that said "Tune it or die," and uh, so I take this pretty serious. There we go. Sorry about that. And I can say, in heaven, there will be no tuning. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs>
darkness came, then bursting forth to glorious day, out from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on I just feel like he kept saying, I want to encourage people today. I want to encourage people. So just come, Father. Come do what you do best. Just come. I just see him lifting weights off people's shoulders. I see him, I see him literally opening chests and he's washing hearts. Lord, come. Just come. Come dis, uh, disarm our enemies. Come drive back demons. Come uh, uh, erase lies that have been whispered all week. Just come, Lord. You know, here's how we're going to end off. <clears throat> uh, I just sense that there's some people that, you know, it's like your joy has been robbed of you. Whether it's cir- you know, circumstances of life that you, it's like you're cornered. You just feel like your joy has been robbed of you. And God wants to, wants to give you joy. Who would say you just feel like your joy's been robbed. Life circumstances, any takers? I see some. I see one, two, okay. Uh, well, we, well, we're going to take some time to pray for you. Anyone else that you just feel like, like you've been, like just circumstances have worn you down? Okay, good. So there's that. We're going to pray for you. And then uh, digestive issues. That just kept going through my mind. Stomach issues. Uh, and anyone here today, they have, you have stomach issues. I feel like God wants to, one of his encouragements is he wants to heal people. Good. Okay, and then Bonnie. Bonnie came to me this morning. She's got a word. Uh, do you want to share that, Bonnie? And then we'll take some time to pray.
I really have a sense that I saw a picture of Jesus and he was standing in this land. It was new territory. Many of us, men first, were standing in front of where there was a line. There were lots of giants. There were all kinds of weird little loafer shoes, which seemed very bizarre in this picture. Behind the loafer shoes were combat boots. So Jesus was summoning the men to come forward, to move into a new territory, to take a new land that he had already given them, and it was time for them. They couldn't fit into these little shoes anymore because that time had passed. It was a new season in which they had to put on combat boots. And once they stepped into the combat boots, it's like as if they stepped into their destiny. And then he kept beckoning them saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. And as the men put on the boots and as the men started to look at Jesus, as they stepped over into this land, the giants moved out of their ways and it became a land of milk and honey. Right behind the men came the women, and women had labels slapped all over themselves, on their forehead, on their chest, on their back, everything from kick me, I'm a loser, my time is past, this isn't, my dreams are never gonna happen. And Jesus is beckoning the women saying, you take off the label that I never put on you. You do it as an act of faith, because I say, beckon, follow me, follow me. You're not those labels. You're who mm -hmm. I said you are. You're empowered, you're strong, you're capable, mm -hmm. you have a destiny. Mm. So there. Amen, that's a great, thank you, Bonnie. Okay, so here's what we're gonna do. You know, when Bonnie told me that word, I just right away, I just heard the Lord's invitation to the men, to the women, to the certain men here today, to certain women. So here's what I'd ask, uh, the people that responded, put your hands up again for joy, for healing, just put it up real high. And then whoever would respond to that word, put your hand up and we just want to pray for you, just where you're seated. Okay, so look around you, if there's hands up, put them up real high. Just look around people, We're just let's move around and make sure that everyone's getting prayed for. We just want to bless what God's doing, ask them, what word are you responding to? Was it, you know, what Bonnie said, was it for joy, was it for healing? So put your hand up high if no one's uh, praying for you. There's people with their hands up, you might have to move your feet to go stand by someone. Um, but look around, let's make sure everyone's getting prayed for. Okay, so uh, Kaylin's going to lead us in a song for the rest. If you know, if I see this over here, someone needs prayer. Put your hand up real high if you don't have someone praying for you. We're just going to take some time to pray. Kaylin's going to lead us in a song, and if you're not praying for someone, just sing along and uh, uh, just sing it out over, even over these people that are getting prayed for. So then I'll end off the service. Yo 
I just pray that the, the truth of that would just saturate us this morning, that you're a good, good father. It's who you are. And that we're loved by you right now. Whatever's going on in our lives, we are loved by you. But just that, that truth uh, fill us this morning. Stir joy deep down inside. Lord, thanks for all that you're doing right now, all the ways you're coming close to people, all the ways that you're healing and encouraging. Lord, I pray especially just that word that Bonnie gave that you, uh, I, I just bless those men and those women to step into who you've made them to be. Lord, you'd set them free. You would disarm their enemies this morning and set them free. Lord, thanks for your presence. I thank you so much for this church, for all these people, for this community. Lord, watch over us this week. Keep us in step with you. Lord, keep us rooted in you, built up in you. And I pray that uh, we'd just be a thankful people this week. In Jesus' name, amen.